first Sunday of each year, we set some direction for where we want the church to go during the course of that year. So that's what I want to do this morning. Now, how many of you were here on New Year's Eve service? Good number of you. So you've got to hear the word of the Lord for 2010. Uh, I just want to just review what we shared on the New Year's Eve service. Not going to not going to the entire message, but just uh, a quick review. The, uh, the message will be up on our church website, so you can download it uh, in the next two days or so, and you can listen to it again in case you uh, would like to do that, or in case you missed it, you could hear the message, uh, the MP3 of that message. You can get it off our website. So, what's the word of the Lord for 2010? It's a year of and restoration. 2010, a year of reconciliation and restoration. Interestingly, testimonies already started coming in, so I was like... Wow, you know, just from the, from the first day, people started responding to it and sharing things that God has done, God is doing, or God just did uh, in terms of bringing reconciliation and restoration in their lives. Um, just so excited about that. Uh, let's quickly review what we, what, we, what we said on New Year's Eve. Uh, 2010 is a year of reconciliation. Uh, to reconcile is to make friends again. Uh, to settle, to reunite, to bring together, to put right, to resolve. So God's really addressing areas of relationships in our lives, uh, starting from the, from the basic ones that we have at home, whether it's in the family, the marriage, uh, between parents and children, uh, children and parents, to other relationships that you and I uh, are involved in, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's your friends at school or college, your colleagues, um, people that you work with, and people in the church, and people across churches. God's working on that this year, and God really wants us to address that. Uh, we're talking about reconciliation relationships that were unsettled, disturbed, or disconnected for various reasons. God really wants to address that and see reconciliation in those relationships. Now, of course, reconciliation will require some action. You, you and I need to do something to see reconciliation happen. You need to step out, reach out apologize, or do something that you need to do to bring or to initiate reconciliation in, in relationships. And reconciliation will also require restitution, meaning in a sense of paying back or settling what is due or asking and giving forgiveness or keeping promises that were made but not kept. So it, it would require some, uh, some action in this direction. The beautiful thing about reconciliation is that it will bring healing to those who extend it. And to those who receive it. Amen? Reconciliation brings healing. And importantly, reconciliation will open the door for the blessings of restoration that God desires to bring into our lives. This is the key that will unlock that door to bring restoration into our lives. So if you and I have hurt or wronged someone, let's apologize. Let's ask forgiveness. If you and I owe a debt, let's pay it. If you and I have made a promise, let's keep it. If you and I have slandered or falsely accused or spoken wrongly of someone, let's, uh, let's confess it and seek pardon. Uh, if we have caused misunderstanding or we know that there is a misunderstanding, let's make an explanation, let's clear the air. Let's do all we can to reconcile and make peace this year. Amen? Now, let's not put it off till December 31st. <laughs> Work on it now. Start looking out now. Areas that you and I could, you know, uh, I, I just look at and say, God, you know, please tell me, put your finger in my, um, on areas of my life where I need to, have recon- I need to make reconciliation, I need to reestablish relationships. Uh, it could be in church, it could be in your workplace, it could be uh, to those reporting to you as a boss or those you were reporting to uh, in your workplace, whatever, different capacities. Just let's ask the Lord and, uh, for grace to work on that. And as we do that, we can expect the, rest, the blessings of restoration to invade our lives. Uh, 2010 is a year of restoration. God bringing into our life that which has been withheld from us, withheld from you. You felt that, you know, God, this blessing should have come into my life, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, some time back, in a previous season of my life. But this year, as you take steps towards reconciliation, you can expect that blessing to flow into your life. God bringing restoration uh, of that which has been taken away from you. Maybe you once enjoyed it, but now it's gone. And, and, and God can bring it back into your life and mine as we reconcile. And God bringing back into our lives that which has been wasted away. Maybe we, we made mistakes and the, which caused, resulted in a waste of time or energy or whatever. 
God can bring that back into our lives. I want to encourage you and I to have faith for restoration. Many times we, we think it's impossible. God, how could you do that? How could you possibly restore that situation, that circumstance? How could you possibly restore it? Just this morning after our service, one of the young ladies at, in our South Church came up and said, you know, she was separated from her husband, I mean, to my recollection, at least two years. And it was like a couple of months right after marriage, she was separated. But I think this went bad and that's it. And, uh, and, and I used to see her in church and, uh, and, and, you know, time went by. She, they also had a child and, and, and had not met her husband now for, I think, like over two years. Just this morning, she came and said, just before Christmas, the husband came back. Just before Christmas. They spent this Christmas, first Christmas in two years together. And it's like, it's like, wow, reconciliation, healing. Amen. So, you know, sometimes we think like, God, you know, how could there be a restoration of, of, of something like this? How could it happen? But I want you to have faith for restoration, whether it's in relationships or any other area. Have faith for restoration. Have faith because God requires faith of our hearts. And always remember this, that restoration, God's restoration is always with multiplication. Amen? And God brings it back. He also, always brings it back much better, much bigger than what it was. Comes back to us multiplied. So expect that in your life. Um, restoration with multiplication. So we close the New Year's Eve service with some prayer and faith action. We, we encourage people to write down in areas of their life. Um, uh, whether they desire to see reconciliation. Areas in life where they desire to see restoration. And, uh, and we also took time to pronounce, uh, pronounce or, or uh, make declarations of uh, reconciliation, restoration over our church. Across churches in our city. And even in our nation. The word of the Lord for 2010. A year of reconciliation and restoration. Now, I want to just change gears now and talk about some direction for the year ahead. The road ahead for 2010. What do we want to see, desire to see in the life of our church in 2010? The first Sunday of every year we do this. So those of you who have been here over the last years, some of this might be a, a repetition I'd like to repeat things so that we stay focused, stay aligned, uh, remember where we are going, the direction we're going. And so some of this might be uh, 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 as a way of repetition. Now, why is it important to talk about this? You know, say, Pastor, Sunday morning, I want to come. I want to be encouraged. And, and here you're talking about direction for the church and, you know, all these things. Why do we need to do that? Simply because if you and I are a body and we want to go somewhere, we've got to go together. Man, the Bible tells us in the book of Amos, the third chapter, and the third verse, it says, Can two walk together unless they are in agreement? You and I, as a church, as a people of God, as a body of believers, we cannot go together unless we are in agreement. Otherwise, we'll all be pulling in different directions. Now, we come, we worship together, we hear the word of God together, but in the course of our life, week after week, in the life of our church, if we all pull in different directions, if we are not in agreement, we will not make progress together as a body. So it's so important to come back into alignment in the direction of the church and where we are going. And uh, I like to quote this verse at least once every year. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. It's a very powerful verse. Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, and it's kind of amazing that he would even write this, you know. To a Corinthian chat that was so segmented, so fractioned, uh, different people wanting to do different things, pulling in all different directions. And he writes this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.10. And Paul says, I plead with you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's getting serious. Saying, I'm not doing it, you know, I'm not making a nice suggestion. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in the name of the Lord. This is a serious thing. In the name of the Lord, here's what I am pleading with you. What? He says, I want all of you to speak the same thing. That's amazing. I want you all to speak the same thing. I mean, can you imagine if somebody came and asked somebody in all people's church, you know, what do you, what does the church say about this? And they asked somebody else, what does the church say about that? And they asked somebody else, what is it? And all the three people say the same thing. It might snow in Bangalore. No, I'm just joking. Now, right, that's what Paul wants. He's pleading. He says, I want you all to say the same thing. I believe we can come to that place if we decide. We want to get there. Amen? 
He's saying, see the same thing about whatever. And that there is no divisions among you. That you be perfectly joined together. Perfectly joined. I mean, we're all just so flowing together that we are moving in the same direction, pulling together. We, there's such togetherness in us as a body. Perfectly joined together. That's powerful. To have a body like that. Perfectly joined together. In the same mind and in the same judgment. That means your opinions, your thoughts, your perceptions of things are the same. In the same mind and the same judgments. So this is what I want you all to come to. Amen? Can we as a body of believers, as a church, agree to make that happen amongst us? Can we work towards it? Amen? That we can all speak the same thing. That we will be perfectly joined together. There will be no divisions among us. And that we will be of the same mind and the same judgments. I believe we can. If Paul presented that as a challenge to the church. I believe it is an intent of God to be accomplished. To be fulfilled. I believe we can. So that's what we seek to accomplish when we talk about the road ahead. Set some direction for the church. Where we are going. What we want to see happen and so on. So. Uh, Let's get into this. Now, what kind of a church do we want us to be? What kind of a church? Our vision statement is to be salt and light. In the city of Bangalore, a voice to the nation of India and to the nations. Salt permeates. Light penetrates and pierces the darkness. When you turn on the light, there isn't any more debate between light and darkness. Light doesn't debate with darkness. Would you please like to leave? You switch the light on, darkness leaves. It's forceful. And we are salt and light in our city. Meaning, we want to be a people who have influence and impact. Locally, nationally, and globally. That's the kind of people we want to raise up. Amen? You... Are somebody who is going to have influence and impact in our city, our nation, and the nations. We want to see a people who are so strong on the inside that we transform any environment that we enter into. You step into it and you're able to transform it and not be affected by it. But you're so strong on the inside. You're carrying something inside you that you can effect change to what's around you. We want to raise up a people who will be, who are constantly advancing God's kingdom. Seeing souls saved and disciples made in all spheres of influence and all spheres of society. We want to see people in politics. We want to see people in government, in education, in sports, in arts, in entertainment. In every sphere of society. That means you and I penetrating or affecting change in these different spheres of society. Because of what God has put within us. And advancing the kingdom of God in all those spheres. Amen. That's the kind of body we want to raise. We want to see a people who are manifesting the glory of God. Here on earth. Both in Christ-like character and in demonstration of power in signs and wonders and miracles. We want to see such a body raised up. We desire to see an apostolic and a prophetic church. Apostolic meaning we are pioneers. We are on the forefront paving the way for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Prophetic means we hear and say what the Spirit is saying. This is the kind of people we want to be. Amen? However, if this is the kind of people we want to be, what we are saying is we want to be people who will run in the Olympics, not in the school sports. Amen? See, it's easy to run in your school sports, your fourth standard race and win a medal. I mean, that's one thing. But what we are saying is we don't want to be that kind of people. We want to be people who are preparing to run in the Olympics. Are you with me? Meaning to say that we want to reach the highest and the best that there is as people of God. And therefore to be this kind of a church, we must emphasize 
spiritual formation. The development of the spirit man. Because we are saying we want people who run in the Olympics. People who will be so strong in the spirit. Who can then effect change in the world. It requires a lot of spiritual formation. Otherwise also called discipleship. And you and I have a choice. We could be like what much of Christian is. Where people get saved, they attend church, listen to messages, feel inspired, secure their birth in heaven. And when it's time to go, they go peacefully. They don't trouble the world and try to stay away from the world as much as possible. The world never misses them when they leave. Or you and I could be people who say, like it was said of the people in the Bible, they turned their world upside down. They had such influence and such impact that either the world celebrated their presence or totally rejected them. That they affected change in the world they lived in. But to be that kind of a person, it means you're saying we're preparing for the Olympics. It's going to require that kind of spiritual development to affect that change. Amen? And all of this, Jesus is our model. He's our standard. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he be like his teacher. Jesus said this, it's enough that you be like me. In other words, he's trying to encourage you, saying, listen, just try to be like me. It's enough that the disciple be like his teacher. I'm not asking you to be better than me. Just be like me. Jesus said. The disciples aren't greater than the master. It's enough that the disciple be like his master. This is what we're going for. Jesus is a model. He's our standard. He's one, the one whom we want to pattern ourselves to. But to be like him. There is something required. What's it? Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So here's the little requirement. Here's the process you and I need to go through. To be like our teacher, we need to be perfectly trained. He said, all those who are perfectly trained... They will be like their teacher, the master. It's enough that you be like me. But to be like me, Jesus said, you need to be perfectly trained. So that's what we're after. Perfectly training. Perfectly meaning thoroughly training. Thoroughly equipping God's people. So that we can all pursue our gold standard, which is Jesus Christ. Pursue being like him. So that we can effect change in our world. So, to ensure spiritual form, that spiritual formation happens or discipleship happens, this year we want to lay emphasis on a couple of things and I want to share them with you. First of all, we want to emphasize discipleship through life groups and mentoring. Discipleship through life groups and mentoring. I want to emphasize that this year. Life groups are powerful. Some of you are part of it and you know you've experienced firsthand uh, the benefits of being part of a life group. It's just a small group of you know, 10 to 12 people who gather together in homes on a regular basis and share life together, study the word of God together, pray, with, pray together, share their experiences, their challenges, their struggles and pray together. But a lot of spiritual formation can happen in that small group setting. In a big meeting or a Sunday service like this, things do happen. We are able to worship God together. We're able to um, study the word of God together. And that's good. I'm not diminishing the value of these things. But some things cannot happen in a big group setting. Nobody, the person next to you may not even know what you're going through. May not know your struggles. May not know what to pray for you. Uh, may not know how to encourage you. You see them now and you probably won't see them until next Sunday. You may not even see them next Sunday. So you'll be sitting next to somebody else. 
But in a life group, as you meet regularly, maybe once in two weeks or once a week, you're able to share life. You're able to uh, pray and encourage and build each other up. Talk about the application of the word. Somebody says, you know, I heard the message on Sunday. Monday when I went to work, here's what happened. Here's how it played out Monday through Saturday in my life. And able to share that with one another and, and, and build each other up that way. So a lot of spiritual formation can take place in life groups. And we want to emphasize spiritual formation or discipleship happening through life groups. It's also a great place where everybody can participate. Everybody can share and pray and, and minister to one another with the gifts that God has given you. And mentoring. Mentoring is just you spending time with somebody. Getting to know them. And just speaking into their life, whatever you know, whatever God's taught you, whatever God's done in you. And I love that process because, you know, mentoring really just sharpens two people together as iron sharpens iron. You enrich somebody's life and they enrich your life. Amen? And a lot can happen over coffee. So all you need to do is to find a place in coffee day. You know, I was just telling, hey, let's meet 4 o'clock at coffee day. Get a cup of coffee and talk. You know, what has God been doing in your life? Your life journey. I mean, what have you been learning? And discipleship can happen over coffee. Just as you talk and share and pray, carry your Bible to coffee day. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? That coffee day all over Bangalore City has discipleship happening. But people carrying the Bibles in, they talk, they pray, and, uh, and, and God is doing things. You don't have to do it over coffee. I mean, you could be at home, you could meet anywhere you want, but uh, just mentoring, meeting one-on-one with people and just sharing life and, and ministering to one another. Now, you know, one of the big things is that people say, you know, uh, how can I mentor somebody? I'm not perfect. Here's a small secret. None of us are. The beauty of God's kingdom is this, that God uses, and you've heard this before, God uses imperfect people to perfect imperfect people. Think about it. God uses imperfect people to perfect imperfect people. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect, but God's using us to perfect each other. That's all mentoring is. Amen? Just find somebody who's, who's able to give into your life and say, hey, can you spend some time with me? Or find somebody that you can give into and say, hey, let's just spend some time together. Let's just talk and uh, let's just share the word of God. Let's share what God has been doing and, and get into the depths of God and, and, and what he's done in your life. And you in that process are going to help build somebody up. Amen. And evangelism will be a natural outcome of life groups and mentoring as people are equipped. They will be bold enough to share, tell, impact other lives, step into situations where they can bring about transformation. So I believe that as, as, as a, a discipleship happens through life groups and mentoring, evangelism will be a natural outcome. Our ability to win souls um, uh, will just increase. Our capacity to win souls and affect lives will just increase as we have more disciples made. Disciples will have the ability to produce disciples. And young people, I just want to encourage you. You, know, you say, you know, what am I going to do on the weekends? There's no elevate. There's nothing happening the weekends. What am I going to do? Get involved with life groups and with mentoring. Be a part of a life group. Have somebody mentor you. Or lead a life group. Mentor somebody. Amen? Get involved. Do that on your weekends. Make a difference on your weekends. Now, every second Saturday, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., we're going to have our life group leaders and mentors meeting. So this coming Saturday, we'll have it every second Saturday, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Our normal venue will be the United Theological College. We'll meet there. Uh, all our life group leaders and mentors, we meet there and just, you know, uh, give into the life of our life group leaders and encourage them. Uh, we'll do that throughout this year. A second important thing that I want to see happen in our church uh, during the course of 2010 is this. To, we want to see... We want to build bridges across generations and cultures within our church. Now, we are all people's church, incidentally. Which means we have people of all generations, 
all cultures, different backgrounds. Now, the South Church is kind of an interesting mix because it's a small group, about 80, 80 people or so. It's very closely knit, and the dynamics there are very different from what we experience here in the Central Church. As the numbers increase, what hap- unfortunately what happens is we tend to get segmented or fractioned across generations and sometimes even across cultures and across tastes, likes and dislikes. Here's a group of people who like to do this. Here's a group of people who don't like to do this. And so there's a segmentation there. But what we want to see happen in 2010 is the building of bridges across generations and across cultural groups so that we truly are perfectly joined together. Amen? See, the more fragmented and segmented we are, internally, the less powerful we are externally. A house divided will not stand, Jesus said. So we need to eliminate the segmentation, the fractions amongst us, by building bridges across generations, across cultures, across groups that have different tastes and likes and dislikes. We emphasize this or we address this in our New Year's Eve service when we quoted from Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 where God says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. One of the important things that God will do before his return, before the coming of the day of the Lord, is that the Elijah type of anointing will be released to the church. What, does, what is the characteristic of this Elijah anointing? He said, when Elijah comes, when he comes back with this anointing, when this forerunner anointing is released back on the church, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children, and the heart of the children will be turned to the fathers. There will be a building of bridges across generations. Amen? Put it in a spiritual context. The younger generation will connect with the older generation. The older generation will connect with the younger generation. There will be a bridge built. And this is what the anointing of God will do in the end end times. Amen? And that's what we want to see happen in our church. A building of bridges across generations, across cultures, across people uh, who come from different backgrounds. We've got to be perfectly joined together. I'll say an amen and keep going. One of the things we want to do to make this happen is the fourth Sunday of every month will be a family Sunday and an open house. The fourth Sunday of every month. What's going to happen? Well, first thing is you can come to church dressed in your casuals. For some of you, it won't make any difference. For some of us, you know, we'll come in our t-shirt and jeans. You know, once uh, a week in the office, you have your casual day, you dress in your t-shirt and jeans, sometimes in shorts and whatever. So you can do that on the fourth Sunday. It's not that we're dictating how you dress on the other Sundays. But we're just saying that we all agree that on the fourth Sunday, you will not stone your pastor if you see him in t-shirt and jeans. You know, <laughs> Don't think your pastor's backslidden. And, you know. No, it's just a family Sunday. We're going to have a regular service here in all our locations. And after service, we're going to have a lunch available. I mean, not heavy lunch, some sandwiches, whatever. We'd like you to get your sandwiches and come back here. And we're going to have open house. Meaning, we're not going to have a sermon preached to us. But we are going to share amongst ourselves. We'll have mics moving around. uh, And we're going to share amongst ourselves and discuss and talk about a topic on that Sunday. Is that okay with you? Examine. We just pick different things that are interesting, relevant to all of us. Example, I mean, let's say, for instance, we want to talk about, you know, uh, is it okay to date? Let's hear from, you know, Uncle so-and-so who is uh, 50 years old. Let's Let's hear their perspective on it. And then let's hear from, you know, Johnny, who is 19, and just, there's no Johnny in our church, right? <laughs> who is just, you know, waiting to date. So let's hear both perspectives. And then see what the word of God has to say on the subject. 
and uh, and talk about it together as a body, as a family. So that the young people will understand the perspective of the older ones and the older people will understand why the young people are so desperate to date. Right? And we'll be able to build some bridges across generations, across cultures. And, you know, there might be a 19-year-old who says, I think dating will send you to hell. And there's another 19-year-old who says, no, 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 this is a God-given way. And they're just same age group, but different cultures. You know, one grew up in Bangalore City, another grew up somewhere else in different cultures. But they're same age. They look at it differently. So we'll have open house. We'll talk about topics that interest everybody. You come prepared. You share what you, you, you've learned. Uh, and then you know, we might talk about example. Another, another son will say, you know, how do you deal with bad uh, uh, bosses in the workplace? You know? And so somebody might stand up and share you know, their experience. You know, in 1949, when I was working in the you know, Swan place, and I had a bad boss, and here's how I dealt with him. And somebody else might shout up and say, this is how I dealt with it. And this is how God helped me deal with it. And so the young people are waiting to graduate and get into, into, into the workplace will say, okay, you know, uh, I always wanted to get into the workplace thinking I'll be totally free. But, you know, maybe it's not as pleasant as I thought. But here's some wisdom coming into my life even before I graduate. So I believe that a family son in open house will address the young people, the older people, uh, the married couples, the singles, uh, People in the workplace and we'll be able to address all of it and really build bridges, build an understanding as we talk openly about these things and uh, centering it all on the word of God. Amen? You ready to do it? Of course we'll have some guidelines like don't shout, don't scold, <laughs> you know, and don't counsel through the mic and these kinds of things. But other than that, we just have, let's talk. And then what we like to do is to have some time of activity together. Uh, we haven't finalized this, but we hope that we'll get permission uh, to use the swimming pool, to use the basketball court, to use the football court. We hope we get permission to do that. So after we spend this hour of open houses talking, we'll like, you know, people to just spend time together. So uh, we'll have, you know, people of you know, 50, 40, 30, 20 or playing football together, maybe basketball together, doing stuff together. People just sit down and talk to each other. You can go to somebody who is older to you and just ask them some questions. Talk. We're just trying to spend some time together. So build bonds, build bridges across age groups, across cultures within the church. Amen? All we're doing is asking you one Sunday of the month. So don't say, that's the Sunday I go normally to Richie's. <laughs> Just move that to some other Sunday. Free up your fourth Sunday, please. Alright? Whatever you plan to do on your fourth Sunday, just try to move it to another Sunday. So you free up your fourth Sundays and say, this is a family Sunday for me. I want to really commit to building bridges in the house of God and contributing. Maybe you have an experience that you can share that somebody else can benefit. So, you need to be around. You need to be here. Maybe you, somebody else has an experience that you can benefit from. Yeah? So we're going to do this on the fourth Sunday. Just keep it open uh, and build bridges. Get to understand different perspectives, different cultures. different gen- How does it, different generations perceive the same thing? And maybe it will change your perception of it, therefore. The third area we want to address is youth ministry. Ever since... Uh, the end of last year as we closed down what was happening the youth ministry uh i've been spending some time just to think and say you know god how do we what do we do in ministering to the youth how can we do it effectively and here are some thoughts i just want to share with us you know one of the things that you and i must uh kind of just try to come to understanding is that we cannot plug and play a western concept of youth ministry into our culture i can't take what you know so-and-so church is doing out there in some western part of the world. Plug it into all people to expect that to work. It will not because our cultures are so different. And, I, and just as young people, I'm just thinking about this. You know, there's some basic differences between our young people here in Bangalore, India, and young people out in other western countries. Although we have the New York accent. <laughs> and although we dress... You know, we're in the same kind of clothes, the same sneakers, and nowadays you can get the same undergarments here. You know, I mean, you can just, you know, you can live as though you're in New York. 
You get everything here. Inside out. But still, you're in a different culture. I mean, some basic differences. And, and a culture is a generalization, I know. Uh, there are always exceptions to it. Right? But culture as a generalization, speaking in general terms, I mean, some basic differences among young people, uh, young people in Western world usually leave home at the age of 18. They're on their own feet by 18. They either work in Walmart, McDonald's, KFC, whatever, take care of their own, pay their own bills, try to make their own way through college. Not so with young people here. I mean, you're 26 and you're still at home, you know. I mean, you're in your job, but you're still at home. It's, it's kind of different. And, and we cannot say, well, the young people in the Western world enjoy these liberties. Therefore, the young people in our culture must also enjoy the same liberties. Not so, because liberty comes only with responsibility. They carry a whole lot of responsibility. They pay their own rent so they can come home anytime they want. Here, your daddy pays the rent and your daddy puts a foot on the table. So when daddy says, be home at six, you better be home at six. Amen. So, it's different. Right? And another big difference is this, you know. And again, this is a generalization. I'm not saying everyone is like this. Culture is a generalization. So, uh, uh, you know, in the Western world, parents are waiting for the kids to leave by 18. They're waiting for them to go. In India, you get married, you can have grandchildren. I mean, they are still holding on to you. <laughs> it's just different. You know. And so, so when you're talking about youth ministry, you need a ministry, you need something that addresses, that is sensitized to these relationships in our context. We cannot create a youth ministry that has a negative effect on these realities. Amen. So what I'm looking at is saying, God, you know, you need to show us a model that will, that's localized, that's indigenous, that's relevant to our youth, but sensitized to our culture. I cannot plug and play something I see out there in the world, some other part of the world. I mean, I will learn from it. We can learn from it. But we got to be careful. Now, personally, if you ask me, I really desire to see our youth raised up and, and become powerful men and women of God and, and used in ministry. And, I, and I'm looking forward to having 13-year-olds preach Sunday morning service from this pulpit. Amen. I'm looking. I want that to happen. I want to see teenagers stand up and preach Sunday morning sermons. I want to see young people stand up and prophesy and heal the sick and cast their devils. And I want to see that happen. I'm committed to it. I'm committed to seeing godly character and maturity as he pursue this. Amen? For now, here's what our youth ministry will look like. We'll have... Uh, our ministry to young people happen through life groups, mentoring, through these families, some we've been talking about, through involvement in ministries and all ministries at ABC. We'll have an annual Teens and 20s conference. But here's the direction that I feel we're going to go as a church. When people ask us, you know, how do you minister to the youth? My response will be, we don't minister to the youth. We minister with the youth. We're going to have young people come alongside us. We're going to work together. And that's our ministry to the youth. Amen. We're not going to have young people go off and do something on their own where parents have no idea what what's being spoken into their lives. That's, I don't think, is the right way to go. I believe our ministry to the youth will be by us ministering with the youth. This is the form, the shape of our ministry to the youth in the days to come. A couple other things I want to address here before we close for our worship ministry. Uh, I definitely would like to see further development of our worship ministry in several areas this year. One in the songs we sing. Several years ago, I, uh, I just placed a project before our team saying, you know, here's what we really like to do. We'd like to get all the ancient hymns of the church. 
like to get them all together. The good hymns. We like to pick out the songs of the 60s and the 70s. You know, some of you, some of you might remember Hosanna Integrity. The songs that they used to produce. It was scripture in song. I mean, songs like, As the deer panted for the water. It's Psalm 42 in song. Created me a clean heart. It's Psalm 51 in song. And it, you know, the 60s, 70s, when Integrity Hosanna was producing the songs, they used to take scripture and make songs out of them. And that's powerful. Unfortunately, as time progressed, and I'm not against contemporary music. We, it's good. There is some good things in contemporary. There are some good things in contemporary music. We need to pick the good things out of the uh, the 80s and the 90s and the, and, the, and the present decade. Pick the good one. So, a project we wanted to get done was take all the compile all the ancient hymns, compile all the songs from uh, from the 60s, the 70s, the good ones. Compile all the good ones from our contemporary, and let's sing them in our Sunday morning services. Because there are some people who would like to sing hymns. There are some who would like to sing uh, the songs of the 60s, 70s. There are others who would relate with the contemporary songs. Unfortunately, some of our contemporary songs is just more of an expression of emotion than of good scripture. We need to discard those kind of songs. I don't want to sing what you feel. I want to sing what we believe. Amen? And so... Uh, we, 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 I want this project to be completed this year. And I'm opening this project out to the congregation. If any of you would like to help in making this project happen, meaning compiling the songs from the hymns in um, the 60s and 70s and, and then all the, the good ones, so you validate every song that we're going to sing and create a, comp- a compilation of this and then we bring them to our worship team and say, you know, these are what we're going to sing. If you'd like to help in this project, I want you to just get in touch with us. Just send an email to contact at apcw.org and say, you know, I'd like to help in this project and I will, we'll get this done this year. Amen? December 31st. As Days ago, Amy and I we went down to Richmond Town Methodist Church. Uh, 10:30 a.m. was the funeral service of uh, Reverend Dr. Theodore Williams. Many, some of you may know him. We went there a little after 9:30. Wanted to be there early. We just wanted to honor this man of God. Uh, Reverend Dr. Theodore Williams he died about when he was about 74 years old, just a couple of days back. Uh, has had a tr- tremendous impact on my life personally. I remember when uh, he had a, such an emphasis on uh, on, on missions. Uh, every message he would preach was probably about missions and just motivate people to serve God and to make their life count for the kingdom of God. And, um, and I, re- I remember as a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, every morning tuning in, every Monday morning, tuning in to Back to the Bible. And Reverend Dr. Williams would preach every Monday morning on the radio. And almost every message was on missions. And if, you know, I could, I could say very clearly that my desire to serve God was, was really in, now, largely influenced through his ministry. And so we went that on December 31st morning, went to Richmond Town Methodist Church just to honor this great man of God and the life he has done, and the life he lived, and what he's contributed to uh, not only the Methodist Church, but to the body of Christ in India. Um, and uh, uh, we went there, and you know, Richmond Town Methodist Church, for me personally, that Methodist Church is a very sacred place. Because it was there, and I was just sitting there and you know, waiting for the service to start. I was just recalling all that happened in my life in that Methodist church. Right at that altar, many of us young people used to lie down for hours praying and crying out to God. And I said, God, that was the altar. There's so many of us young people, teenagers, were lying down for hours praying to you. And I thought about Stephen's Hall, right the hall right next door. I said, God, for a period of a year or two years, every Saturday I used to be locked up in that hall Morning till evening, studying the word of God. It was in that hall I learned Romans chapter 6, 7 and 8. It was in that hall, God, as a teenage boy, where I discovered many of the deep things of the word of God. And every Saturday evening, for a period of two years, I conducted a Bible study in that hall. I looked at the pulpit. I said, God, as a 13-year-old, I stood in that pulpit and I preached in the morning service and the evening service. So to me, that Richmond Town Methodist is such a sacred place uh, and brings back such powerful memories of what God did. Uh, growing as I was growing up. But then we opened the hymnal and we began to sing that song, Take My Life and Let It Be. I could hardly sing it. My eyes filled with tears. I said, God, what a powerful hymn. And we sang it the Methodist way, not the modern way. As you're singing that song, I said, God, what a powerful hymn. 
I could hardly sing it. I said, God, how many times before I've stood in that place there in the Methodist church, sung this hymn. And each time I sang this hymn, God, I was consecrating my life to you fresh, saying, God, I want to serve you. I want to make my life count for you. I said, God, we need these hymns back in our church. We must have these hymns back in our church. So powerful. These hymns connect us back to our spiritual heritage. I believe no contemporary song can even compare, come close to the depth of those hymns. They can't even come near it. Put what music you want to, but those words are so powerful. I said, God, we need to have these hymns back in our church. And this year, I want to see it happen. I know we've started singing some of them, but we want to get back all those ancient hymns, all those powerful hymns, bring them back to the church. And the songs we sing, we need to see a further development of worship ministry and the expression of our worship, where we press in for greater move of the spirit in prophetic worship and the depth of our worship and pressing in for deeper intimacy with God. We want to see growth in all these areas in our worship. I need your help. We need your help. Amen. So if you'd like to help with this project, to just compiling, making compilation of the songs, please get in touch with us so that we could work on it and make it happen this year. A couple of other things that we want to see happen this year. For the very first time, we are introducing what we are calling as a boot camp. And we're going to have two boot camps this year. One in April and one in September. Boot camp is really five days of intense spiritual training and impartation. We'll go from 9 o'clock in the morning till about 9 p.m. in the evening. It's very likely you've never attended something like this before. Five days is all we're asking. We've given you the days in advance so that you could plan your vacation. Plan to use your vacation time during those five days. It'll be somewhere here in our city. And we're going to have, each batch will have only 50 people. But we're going to spend five days together in the word of God, in prayer, in worship. And what we want to do is really cover all the basic foundations and bring you all the way to some really advanced topics like um, uh, uh, prophetic ministry and apostolic ministry and teach you about all of that in five days. Amen? Just really intense impartation into your life. You say, does that mean when I come out from it, I'm going to become a superman? No, you won't. But what you will have is a good foundation that you can build on. Amen? Because if you look at the normal course of church life, you know, you, uh, you may have to attend like five years of Sunday morning services to pick a little bit here and pick a little bit there and pick a little bit there. And then at the end of it, when we ask people, you know, what, do you, what does the Bible say about this? You're like, oh, I don't know. How long have you been attending church? 15 years. But you don't know what the Bible says about this. And it's that. So what we want to do is that in that five days, we want to really cover all of the foundational understanding of the word and get into some advanced things so that you will know how, what is prophetic ministry, how to flow in it. And, 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 and uh, maybe you're not called to be a prophet, but you can minister prophetically. Maybe you're not called to be an evangelist, but you will know how to heal and minister healing to the sick and allow God to be used that way. So you'll have a foundation in you that when you come out, you can build on it and go in the direction that God wants for you to go in your life. So we encourage every person at APC to at least attend one boot camp in your lifetime. And if you want to come back and keep attending more, it's up to you. But at least one. Amen? So... Please plan on it. The dates are available. I would request you to please plan ahead. If you have vacation, you just try to take those five days off. And uh, we'll open up registration sometime before that and, and, uh, and, and make that happen. Other, other events will continue like our big Sundays, our kids conference, our teens and 20s conference, our five days of prayer. All these other things will continue as, as before. All our other ministries will continue. The publications, our outreach churches. This month, uh, we're launching our church in Pune. Uh, Abhishek has been, the last six months, he's been kind of going in and out of Pune and finding a place and all of that. Uh, in a place called Talagaon, he's going to start, he's going to start out as a home church and then grow from that. So just January, we're starting out a church in Pune. And so all our outreach churches will continue, our Bible College, Karnalaya, our Social Action Initiative, the Impact India Initiative, our Global Missions Initiative, all these other things will continue. We'll continue pers- pursuing numerical growth and uh, looking for land for our building and all of that. So all the other ministries will continue. I'm not talking about them. Uh, but just addressing what I feel 
is, is needed to be addressed to set the direction for the church. Now, what we have done, and thanks to Karuna, I'm not sure if she's here this morning. Uh, Karuna is the one who made the, uh, the 2010 magnets. And she's also helped us make a calendar for the year. So we've got a customized APC calendar for 2010. It's available somewhere at the book table. You can buy it for about 50 rupees. Um, it's got all the dates, all the important dates for our church events happening for the entire year. So you just look at it, you know, when is the next water baptism? When is the next Holy Spirit baptism? When is the church camp happening? When is the boot camps happening? When is all night prayer or whatever? All those events are in the calendar given to you. Right? So please buy one. You might need to buy three or four for each room in your home. However many you want. Uh, but if Karuna is here, could you stand up? We just want to say thank you to you. Not sure if she's here. Okay, just give her a hand. Thank you, Karuna, uh, for helping us put those together. All right? The calendar is available. Please pick as many copies as you would like. Hang them up everywhere so you don't miss a date and uh, you're well prepared. So let me get ready to close. In summary, our two key emphasis this year is discipleship through life groups and mentoring. If you want to look at focus on spiritual formation, it's going to happen through life groups, through mentoring. I want to encourage you to find somebody that you can mentor. Somebody in whose life you can invest. Or find a mentor for your life. Somebody who's gone on before you, whom you feel can impart in your life. Say, hey, can we just spend time once a week, once in two weeks, or once a month, whatever works. Just spend time. Find a mentor or be a mentor. I want to encourage us to build bridges. We need to be perfectly joined together as a body, as a church. Build bridges this year. So what's your response? This year, as we focus on discipleship to life groups and mentoring and building bridges, here's what I want to challenge you and I. Let's become zealous for the house of the Lord. Amen? Let's have zeal for the house of the Lord. Now one small change we're going to make. It's a very small change. You know, one of the feedback that we've got from people is, uh, I don't bring my Bible to church because the scriptures are projected on the screen. So we're going to change that. Starting from this slide. What we want to encourage you to do is to bring your Bible. Now, if you want to have your Bible on your mobile phone or a PDA, that's up to you. But I just feel there's something, I almost want to use the word sacred, but there is something good about carrying your Bible with you to church. And there's something really good to know where the book of Habakkuk is. <laughs> and to just flip the pages and turn and read it. You know, thank God for technology. I'm not against it. I'm, I'm all for using technology. But you know, if technology is going to cause me to lose something, I prefer holding on to it. Amen? So I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church with you. And we're going to turn in a minute to read scripture. Is that okay? Let's turn to Psalm 69. And verse 9. Now, for us ministering from the pulpit, it will mean that we have to go a little slower. Because we have to turn to every scripture and wait and all that. But I want us to just develop this godly habit of turning in our Bibles and reading scripture. So please turn with me to Psalm 69 and verse 9. Here's David saying this. He says, David is just sharing his heart and he says, you know, I'm going through all kinds of problems here. Because zeal, verse 9, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has consumed me. I'm so zealous for the house of God, is what David said. He's talking about his own life and how zealous he was for the house of God. Interestingly, the same verse is used about Jesus Christ. In John, the second chapter, Jesus walks into the temple in Jerusalem. So turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, and verse 17. 
you know, Jesus goes into the temple at Jerusalem and uh, he finds people, they're doing a nice thing, meaning they are selling cows and goats and sheep and oxen for the benefit of those who come from outstation, right? Uh, they, don't, they don't have to you know, bring their cows along with them in the train. They just show up and then they buy the cow on the outer courts of the temple and take it in and make the sacrifice. And there are money changers. You, know, you need to give your tithe and uh, you need to count it down to you know, 62 rupees and 32 ru- paise. Okay, you go to the money changer, it gives you your 62 rupees, 32 paise, you go and put your tithe in. Now, so they're doing a good service, so to speak, for the people, but they are doing it for the wrong intention. They're doing it for their own profit. They're making a whole lot of money. So you can buy a cow for 100 rupees, but if you're inside it, I mean, this is Bangalore International Airport, sorry. This is the outer courts of the Jewish temple. It's like 100% higher, you know. You've got to pay 200 rupees for this thing. Whatever, you know, just making this up. But, so they're making money out of it, and Jesus doesn't like that. So he comes, he chases them out of the temple, he overthrows uh, the money changers' tables, and then... He says, you know, my, you cannot make my father's house a house of merchandise. Matthew records it a little differently. He says, you know, uh, this, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. In other words, this house has this sacred. It has to be used for the purpose it is intended. And then the disciples remember and say, hey, this is what David said. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Zeal for the house of God has so filled my being. And they said, this is so true about this man, Jesus. So I want to challenge you and me this morning. Let's become zealous for the house of the Lord. Now you and I can come and attend service, you know, once a week and listen to some message and, and sing some songs and, and go away. But don't allow 2010 to be that way. Let zeal for the house of God consume you. Become zealous for the house of God. I'm not saying for all people's church. See, when you get to heaven, nobody's going to say, Oh, you're from all people's church. Come, 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 come. They, all people's church is just a name here on earth. But the house of the Lord is in heaven. What you invest in the lives of people, you will take into eternity. Because you'll see them there. Amen. Become zealous for the house of God. Who's the house of God? The people around you. They're the house of God. Serving them, giving into their lives, praying with them, sharing life with them. That is being zealous for the house of God. I want to encourage you and me. You know, we've set some direction for the church. Here's what we're going to focus on. But this cannot happen without your involvement. This cannot happen without you and I being zealous for the house of God. Amen. Let's rise to our feet. And as we pray, I want to challenge you and me. Saying, God, I want to become zealous for the house of God. Let zeal for your house fill my being. Let me give of myself even more freely than I've ever given before for the sake of your house, for the sake of your people, for the sake of your kingdom. I want to be filled with zeal for the house of God. Can we just have our worship team up, please? As we just spend a few moments before we close. We've set some direction for 2010 this year. I want to focus on spiritual formation, strengthening God's people, and knowing that lives will be saved and other lives will be affected. Then we can equip people to do that. This morning... Would you just pray and say, God, I want to become zealous for the house of God. Zeal for your house. May it consume me. May it fill me. Stir up my desire to see your house built, your kingdom come. Let me go, Lord, from just being a passive attender to being a contributor to the house. Becoming zealous for the house of God. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and stir up a passion. Stir up our zeal for the house of God. May it consume us. May we become passionate about the house of God.
Lord, seeing the house of God become a house of prayer, seeing the house of God become a house filled with His glory, or seeing the house of God become salt and light, or seeing the house of God effect change in our world. Let's take some time just to pray before the Lord and give ourselves to the Lord. Saying, God, I want to be zealous for your house this year. Not going back, moving ahead, here to Father, we just pray that you will stir in our hearts a God of zeal for your house. That we will become zealous for the house of the Lord. To see a house built and filled with your glory. To see a house be built with living stones. People who are so nurtured, so strong in you and so perfectly trained that we could be like our master. Let this kind of zeal fill each one of us this morning. And throughout this year, let the zeal just become stronger and stronger in us. Zeal for the house of the Lord. Let it consume us, God. Father, we just come at our journey as a body, as a church. 
to you this year. Lead us, Lord God. Enable us to move forward. Take us, God, to heights we have never gone before, to depths we have never explored before. Take us, Lord, into places of greater glory in you. And Lord God, use us to have influence and impact in our city like never before, God. May we see many souls coming into the kingdom this year. Many lives being touched. Many people being healed. May we see many people just receiving the miracles of God in their lives so that they know that the God we serve is a living God. May we see demons cast out and many deliverances take place, God. May a greater prophetic anointing come up upon your people. And Lord, make us an apostolic people that we will be able to pioneer new things in our city and in our nation. And advance your kingdom, Lord God. Release God the spirit of a forerunner upon us. The pioneering spirit upon us. To a greater measure, God. Make us bold and unashamed for the kingdom's sake. Use us, God, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. And lift up His countenance on you. And give you His peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.